Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 347, How to Read a Contract, Boilerplate Edition, presented by Eric Whalen. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Eric Whalen, uh, and this is How to Read a Contract, Boilerplate Edition. Um, I'm so uh, I'm a California attorney who represents professionals in the board game industry, and uh, I thought it was my public service that I could provide the community. Um, I would just sit here for an hour and read through the boring bits that that usually are at the bottom half of the contract. That by the time you stop sort of reading, paying attention, and I thought I would just read out that text so that we could all say together that hey. Even if we don't read this every week, every day, that, you know, we see this, whether talking to iTunes, um, you know, your publisher, one of your artists, you at least can go, oh, Eric talked about this one day in October. I think I'm all right. Um, boilerplate is sort of legal, they're the legal, they're legal terms in a contract that don't change often. They're pretty much stamped from one contract to the next. And once you've read one of them, you can reliably say you've read them all, though you should still in case someone's doing some funny business. But um, most of the times, if you at least understand one, you should know, you should, it should allow you to ethically skim these sections. So what's an example? Um, let me start with a... There's usually a section called the entire agreement. Um, it is just something that says, you know, this agreement contains the entire agreement of the parties and supersedes any prior written or oral agreements between parties with respect to the subject matter thereof. And that just means that everything in the contract will be everything about the deal. There's nothing else. No one needs to refer to any other emails. No one needs to you know, read the runes or refer to other playbooks in order to understand how this deal is supposed to go through. You're supposed to look at this one document and you'll know everything. Pretty nice. Um, why it's important to, to be aware that it's in the contract is that um, throughout the year, many, many of you, if, if you're my clients or people who've signed with them, um, will go, oh, that doesn't need to be in the contract. Um, it, we, we've, we have a previous understanding through emails that they would never do that. Don't worry about what it says in the contract, they say. And that, that term right there uh, shuts that all down. And uh, so it's important to know that it exists. And um, it's... it's it's, it's those types of uh, terms that you just need to be sort of aware of so you're not making assumptions that you can do whatever is said informally outside of the contracts. Um, let me find another thing. Um, here's one that's on a lot of them. 
No waiver of any provision of this agreement by either party shall be deemed a waiver of the same or any other provision hereof with respect to or other similar events or facts arising at a later time. That's a mouthful. What it's saying is, let's say um, you are supposed to turn in a piece of art uh, on a particular day, and um, you're running late, and your uh, the publisher says, don't worry, it's fine, um, just don't do it again. Uh, this agreement, the no waiver, is saying that, okay, they forgave me this one time, but they can hold me accountable all future times. Holding, not holding me accountable once to a due date isn't going to be a free pass when they're expecting the art and the Kickstarter's launching and they need the stuff. Um, it, now, it has other applications. It's, you can... You can imagine that, uh, you know, as you're doing a deal uh, with whatever you're doing, whether it's text or whether you're the publisher interacting with um, your distributor, it's uh, there are other issues where, you know, just know that you are either you are reserving the right to hold someone accountable to the term of the contract. Uh, throughout the duration of the contract, even if you say the first time, like, it's all right, we can ignore that this one time. Um, and that's nice. Uh, to make sure that I'm not just chatting to the breeze, uh, are there any questions with that? Anyone have any confusion? Is this all sounding like stuff everyone knows? And, uh, you know, taking a moment here to go, like, what were you expecting out of this uh, panel, if not for me to continue just going down the really boring broiler plate? Boop, boop. Check in chat. Anyone alive? Well, you're following. Great. Uh, then I'll, well, I'll continue to the next one. Just know that this is not meant as a lecture series. This is very much us here together. And if you guys go, no, nah, we, we get all this, like, you know, contract is a contract, nothing else. You're exactly right, Trey. But yeah, um, and if all this sounds really boring and like really self-explanatory, uh, I'll just keep going through, or if you have other legal questions, um, I won't give you legal advice, but like, feel free to jump in. Uh, at the Medtopian person, we'd all be sitting around a room, talking, having fun, just uh, making sure everyone understands the law to this, that go, that uh, couples with this hobby we all love. So, um, with that said, and waiting for anyone else to say anything, um, how about this? All fees payable hereunder are expressly contingent on owner's execution of this agreement. And, and completion um, of the standard payroll, startup forms, including but not limited to satisfaction of the requirements of applicable laws, if any. Um, so you'd see one of these terms. It's, it's found in most of them. It's, uh, if you don't follow all the laws and all the procedures to document your process and do the job responsibly, 
you're not going to get paid. It's important to be aware when you're at, when you're going, hmm, I, you know, I uh, shipped, you know, wholesaler, um, 300 copies of my game, when am I getting paid? Uh, or when are they going to get back to me? When are any of these things? And if they have something there and you forgot to, you know, make sure to, uh, I don't know, fill out your VAT forms in time or correctly, then you might not receive anything. So that's also a good reminder to say, make sure you're reading the entire contract and every letter, you know, email you're getting back and forth between the other party and... If they are, you know, if you are a publisher and dealing with other parties in the in your distribution chain, um, there are some important things, and there are terms that you can put in contracts to stop payments from being made unless every little bit of procedure is followed. Um, what else? Um, oh, this one's good. So this is the. Uh, there's, so there's one term called the uh, severability term. And it'll read something like this. Um, yeah, completion is doing work there. So what defines that list? List of what? You got it, Trey. Come on, tell So uh, completion, Trey says completion is doing work there. So what defines that list? What list? Oh, what defines completion? Um, so it'll be whatever in the rest of the contract. So what what we're talking about here, all of these miscellaneous terms that are us that usually make up legal boilerplate text, happens in like the very bottom, the very last sections of the contract, and um, and so this is all referring to a document that happened in a previous episode, which we are not covering by this. You know, by this panel, there's the, you know, the sections where it says, here are the deliverables. Exactly. So it'll talk about the deliverables and when they're supposed to be delivered by and the payment to the parties and, um, you know, obligations of each party. And so, but then at the end of the document, you can put something that says no one gets paid until all of the procedures are actually followed through on. Um, which can be different. There are, so in the deliverable section, you might see something that says, um, you know, artist, I'm thinking artist contracts, because there's a lot of art being, <laughs> being dealt with in the board game industry. Um, so between like an artist and a designer, it may say something like, oh, artist agrees to, um, deliver the work and give us a certain amount of revisions and do, you know, X, Y, and Z to make sure they're giving us a piece that we can use. And then there'll be a term next that says, you know, company, uh, publisher, designer has 30 days to pay the publisher, uh, to pay the artist for their work. And it can say that. And what the terms will do is they'll have the... The designer, the person who 
who commissioned the work will have those 30 days, but if they hit the end of those 30 days and the artist is going, you know, it's time for you to pay up, the designer can still say, whoa, you haven't given me proof that you've registered this copyright with the U.S. Uh, Library of Congress, or whoa, you didn't, um, you know, provide what credit I need to give you in order for me to do make this actually usable. You didn't give me this assurance or this piece. And So, Eric, just hold tight. Pause for a second. Oh, I'm back. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, maybe? Maybe not? Well, Trey thinks I'm back, which is fine. You're back. Okay, You're back. I'm good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who among us is a good... <laughs> Who among us is good? Um, this is amazing. I just, I keep thinking of that wonderful dog comic. Um, wonderful. You see and hear me. I answered your question. Fantastic. Let's go to the next bit. We're, we're eating the, the, the legal vegetables. Um, there'll be other panels talking about what you should be fairly paid and how many rights of reversion you have. There are a lot of wonderful artists who've had, who either, either have had panels uh, earlier this weekend or will have panels maybe um, that talk about all the wonderful stuff that happens before this miscellaneous section full of the really dry stuff. Um, but here we are, just making sure that we've all read through and suffered through these at least once. Um, as I sort of said, uh, well, as, as I said in sort of the lead up advertisements for this, uh, many lawyers do forget to read their boilerplate uh, text. They go, oh, this should be in a standard contract. Um, I, I will put it at the end, and it is something that has happened to many people I've worked with and myself on actually two occasions that have scarred me for the rest of my career, where, um, oh, let's just, let's just go to that. Here, let me give you an example of the one that I see, and it's, it's called the uh, A Choice of Law and Choice of Forum Clause. So it's going to read something like this. Um, and yes, that was a great recovery, uh, Dexboard. Um, 
This agreement shall be governed and construed in accordance with the laws of the state of, and in this case it says Texas. Uh, the parties hereto hereby agree that the appropriate and convenient form and venue for any dispute between any of the parties hereto arising out of this agreement shall be in the courts of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Dallas, Dallas County, Texas. And each of the parties hereby submits to the personal jurisdiction of any such court. The foregoing shall not be limited uh, the foregoing shall not limit the rights of any party to obtain execution of judgment in any other jurisdiction. Can you imagine the common problem that happens when you copy and paste this between documents? Anyone in chat? Give you 10 seconds. If your answer was, uh, this would really suck if you just copy and paste this into a, uh, in into a contract that, uh, <laughs> none of the parties involved were involved in Texas, you know, someone in California and someone in Maryland, well, they'll look at you or they'll look across at each other and go, why are we doing, if we have a dispute, why do we all need to go get hotel rooms in Texas? Why do we need to get Texan lawyers? Uh, let's check with our legal, you know, let's check with our legal representatives why they are suggesting that we go to some random and far-flung state that has no actual um, <laughs> relevance to this deal. And uh, that is a trap that lawyers get caught in all the time when they try to be efficient and try to recycle words not reinvent the, reinvent the wheel, and accidentally send their client to the shadow... I mean, Texas. <laughs> uh, yes, and then, well, uh, middle ground. I'll get to that in a second. I'm assuming Dallas is the location of the company that is party to the agreement. Yes, the first time... So the first time that boilerplate was drafted, Dallas was the location of the company that that at least did the deal who who um was the was the party with enough negotiation clout to say we're doing this in Texas if anything goes wrong usually whoever drafts the contract will decide where they're where everyone's going to end up if there's a problem with it it's sort of by their right and as person who spent the money to get this contract written in the first place, that they get to uh, um, choose where the final battleground is if everyone can't uh, make up their minds um, on interpreting things. So with the middle ground, if it's between two... So the, the idea would be, um, going to the previous example I used of one party in Los Angeles and one part uh, California, and one party in Maryland. I'm not entirely uh, as cla you know as familiar with all the city names there. Sorry, Maryland. Uh, but uh, wouldn't it be great if you could just choose some place in the middle? The difficulty with that is that uh, one, the person writing the contract is is going to fight you on that and say 
no, we're spending the the lawyer money up front. The least you can do is come to the where we want to do this final. Baltimore. Chevy Chase, Maryland. Trey, I'm gonna give you so <laughs> I'm giving you so much uh faith that those are actually Bethesda. Yeah, any of those <laughs> You two could just make up random city names, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll believe you. <laughs> uh, that I am, I, I surrender myself to the chat in that fashion. Um, but so coming up with a middle ground is hard because often one side will have more negotiation leverage than the other. Uh, you will see that sometimes when both parties have leverage and can sort of say, okay, we'll do this somewhere in the middle. Um, it doesn't have to be somewhere in the middle. My favorite one was uh, two parties... This, um, two parties where the... Uh, they, they, were both, they were both operating out of uh, Burbank, California, and, you know, nearby me, and uh, it said in their agreement that if there was any problems, if they needed to have any litigation done, then the appropriate forum was to uh, litigate this in Hawaii. And that's a fascinating strategy that there's no law against. It makes it so that, you know, one of these years, if they actually do need to go fisticuffs against each other, they can uh, do it on the beach somewhere and write it off as a tax ex business tax expense. So, you know, yes, the middle ground or, or more broadly, some ground that isn't where either party is located is an entirely viable strategy, just not one that your client will often choose and, um, or that you might not often choose and that your lazy lawyer who did not read the rest of their boilerplate over a final time might accidentally send you if no one's paying attention, uh, least of all the lawyer. Um, the reason, another reason that it, it, a middle ground state isn't usually chosen is because uh, the choice of forum clause, the choice of where, where the courthouse will be, is often paired with another miscellaneous boilerplate term, or a term that's found in the boilerplate. It's so short it shouldn't really be boilerplate, but most of it is, except for the part where it specifies the locations that everyone's going to get sent to. Um, one of the, is there is a uh, term called the choice of law uh, clause, and it says, you know, okay, when we get to this location that we've chosen to have our duel, we're going to be using the state laws according to this state. And that's usually fine, and it's usually the same place um, in, in the contract. Uh, it's also important to make sure that where those, uh, the low, that the choice of law, the body of law that you've cho chosen, and the dueling ground courthouse that you've chosen are compatible with one another, because you generally want... Californian law interpreted by a Californian court or Texas law uh, being interpreted by a Texan court or a Annapolis, Maryland law be well, Maryland, we're, there are no state laws. Well, I'm, no, there are state laws. Misspoke. There aren't city laws. There are no 
There are the... I've gotten on a tangent. Um, you don't want a Maryland law interpreted by a Texan court. That's what you're trying to avoid. And often, Texan courts, when asked to interpret Maryland law, won't do so. They'll say, send it back to this location. Um, so you want to make sure that you're reading your choice of forum and your choice of law clauses to make sure that they are compatible, that they match up, that they are what you expect, and um, to generally be prepared that uh, that's what's going to happen next unless you raise the, you know, some, some problem with your other party to say, hey, I don't like this. I don't know what to expect. Um, does that make sense? I know I got tangled up there when I tried to say there weren't any city laws in Annapolis. I'm sure there's at least one parking regulation that has nothing to do with the agreement that you'll be signing, but it still exists. Um, otherwise, I'll look for the next term in, the con in a contract that you could be expected to see. Okay, seems like I can continue. Um, joint and several liability. If a party to this agreement consists of one or more that uh, consists of more than one person or entity, the obligations of such party hereunder shall be joint and several between and among such persons and entities such that each person or entity shall be fully responsible for such party's full performance of all of its obligations under this agreement. Um, this is making sure that, let's say in a situation, just to vary it up, um, you're in a situation with a co-designer, the two of you, you know, uh, parties role and right, um, are making a game and they've stolen the idea for their game, you know, from their Euro game from uh, someone else in the industry. Let's just go after all the boogeymen at once. Um, so, you know, Mr. Roll and Ms. Wright um, have, have stolen this idea as co-designers and uh, the person they stole it from sues them for stealing their game, their uh, game design, uh, and they go to court and they're found guilty. This will, you know, the joint and severability, the joint and several liability clause will say both parties have to pay for this. It doesn't just go against one or the other, but um, each party will be re held responsible to the degree that they contributed to whatever legal trouble they got into. And um, that is definitely, that we don't see too many people getting to litigation within the board game industry, but this would be more relevant on a more day-to-day -day basis if um, you got into situations where um, both the publisher and the game designer or or an artist were all getting sued together for breaking someone, you know, violating someone's copyright or trademark. And, you know, 
one or more parties wasn't able to really have their hand on the lever to stop the uh, legal problem from happening, the incident from the rights from getting violated, but still did enough to contribute. This this uh, anticipates that day and says that on that day, everyone will be held accountable to a certain degree. And um, that may not be something you want to sign up for if you're paying, you know, if you're only getting paid $75 for your piece of art, you know, the there are a lot of copyright situations where the copyright violation, you know, a copyright violation would be couple thousand dollars. It may not make sense. Uh, so you want to ask those types of questions and if you see it and um, see what you can do to make sure that you don't regret um, a small time deal that would have larger consequences depending on how much you're held accountable for certain violations or incidents that could occur. Um, Going to, you know, the situation where it's an artist going, no, no, I don't want to be, I see it all the time with the uh, indemnity clauses. A, a, a publisher will say, um, and this is almost boilerplate enough that I should talk about it, is, um, you know, in the, in the warranty and indemnity, rep, in the representations warranty indemnity section, which will usually be just above the miscellaneous at the end of the contract, um, you know, the parties will say that, uh, if you violated copyright law, then you indemnify the other party because it's your fault and vice versa. If something happens while the publisher is taking your art or game design and they throw the McDonald's logo on it and are, you know, sued for trademark infringement, uh, it, you know, the indemnity clause will stop the designer from being held at fault for that and um you know it keeps it keeps parties uh it, it keeps you know a, a layer of separation between which party's responsible and who's getting hit by the um the penalty hammer at the end of the day um when you are doing that it is fine to just you know let your eyes glaze over and and be and you know say okay i'm willing to take this risk i'm willing to indemnify you against these problems um even though you're only paying me 75 dollars to participate in this agreement in this venture you can do that often because if you know that you didn't do anything wrong if you know that all of your art is original, you know, your OCs are yours, then um, there's no risk that you need to worry about. And then, and then by worrying about it, it sends a, a red flag to the publisher and sort of like, is everything original here? Is everything unique? Is, are anyone else's rights being violated? And so, um, yeah, does, does, does that make sense? All of the joint and several liability and... You uh, then the tangent on indemnification clauses, which could easily be its own lecture. Um, Mr. Trey, anybody? 
sure that it's... Well, there are eight of you out there. Who else is lurking? All right. Well. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's good. Clap. Clap if you believe in fairies or me. Um, no, no. <laughs> That's overdramatic. Um, okay. A any legal questions as well? Wonderful. Thank you, Trey. <laughs> um, because you, you two have, have, have been consistently talking, what were you hoping to get out of this, uh, this panel, Trey and Mista? I want to make sure that, um, I want to make sure that you two specifically get some value out of this that you were really expecting. What, what, uh, convinced you to give up an hour of time, or at least the last half hour, like, what nugget of wisdom were you hoping to find? Or what projects are you doing? Just tell me. I'll go on to the next thing, so you have some time. Um, but please tell me. I'm, I'm personally interested in your life stories now, because I'm also not sure whether I'm going to have anything to talk about in the last 15 to 20 minutes. I will. I'll start handing out, you know, personalized advice to your venture. You know, you can get Get 50 bucks worth of uh, legal non-advice from me if you stay in for the rest of the program. And if anyone else is out there in cyberspace, you know, you're welcome to join in. We don't just need two people in chat. There are supposedly eight of you, or at least seven. I think I count as one. Um, you're new to, to all the contract stuff. What are you doing? Are you an artist? Are you a designer? Um, oh. I don't know Leonard French. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> Plus slightly terrifying. Okay, you'll have to explain that. What's terrifying about this? It's all, it's all, it's just the law. It's just any of these terms, any of the terms that you see in a contract, I guess should be mildly terrifying on the other hand. Uh, because while all of this, while all of these terms are pretty standard. They don't change from contact, contract to contract, which is why they're called boilerplate. They're just stamped on like you would stamp on the iron of a boilerplate. Um, at the same time, anything that's being put into a contract is modifying how the state laws are written by default. Because if something isn't in a contract, state law or federal law supplies the default understanding. So anytime it's put in the contract, it's either affirming that everyone understands the same state law or it brings their state law into some other state um, or it's somehow modifying how some, some variable that might change based on what state you're in. Um, so let's see. Okay, he's a copyright lawyer on YouTube. That's great. Uh, I will check that out later. Attending many panels, but I'm always interested in increasing my legal knowledge. Hardest thing to do for me is originating contracts for projects that are not boilerplate at all. Why are you originating your own contracts? That's in, that. <laughs> um, the you know uh, this this is a little flippant and a little self um, you know self promoting of me, but. Uh, you know, hire a lawyer to write your contract so that you have, so that you know uh, that you're at least, you at least have something to go off of as a cookie cutter. And then as soon as you have one contract written for you, 
you can use all that between contracts and not have the wheel reinvented, and then the whole thing's boilerplate for you. Um, so, so I, I don't know if you're if your skill set is art or your skill set is design or publishing, um, then stick. God, the words that come off my hand are stick to your lane, but I mean that in a way more polite and friendly sense, which is the sen uh, sense of you're an expert at your field. Uh, don't try to do your own research on vaccines, question mark. I think that's sort of, that's the interpretation I'm going for. <laughs> but, you know, have at it. You're all, you're all smart and, uh, you know, from what I've seen. And, um, you know, it's, it'll be all right. We're, we, we've, uh, read and designed our, sh or interacted with our share of, uh, rules being board gamers. So, um, you know, at, but, but it is still good to at least hire a lawyer for 15 minutes to just look over this, you know, touch up. Did I make some stupid error? Um, and Mr.'s just. Learning contract stuff. Okay. Keep checking up with chat. The game designer who is new, neurodivergent, and poor. Feel like it's really not geared for regular individuals. Um that it's not geared for regular individual individuals, this this lecture or just generally contracts. Cause if it's if it's um because if the lecture isn't really geared for regular individuals, then please help me figure out how. Because if it's not geared for regular individuals, then who, who is it for? Um, I have to communicate with the law. Oh, contracts. Yeah, no, there's a, there are a lot of... That is sort of the skill that you will see and you will notice between um, vendors and publishers or designers who um, have lawyers that really work in this industry or lawyers who, or um, they've, they have lawyers that they've imported from um, related industries like intellectual property general, contract general. I've seen, there's a LARP that uh, I am personally involved in where a lot of their legal work was written by a real estate agent and that is not that is not a uh, at all geared for regular indiv individuals. It's not uh, geared. It wasn't geared for me. I had to look up some stuff just because it's like, huh? That's not how people would say things. But um, you skilled lawyers can re write things that are colloquially and plainly understandable. Um, but at the same time. They're just as sort of acknowledging, you know, acknowledging that problem, uh, Alder. It's that um, lawyers have to straddle a balance between being understandable and being professional enough that you feel like, you know, paying them the large amount of money that uh, they charge because it took a lot of money to get all this knowledge and do three to four years of education to really come prepared to this, to fight this duel on your behalf. Um, the, 
This panel is definitely me talking as a person because we're in Metatopia and uh, if when the convention reopens and we're all in person, you'll see that there is this, you know, business casual, you know, speaking that you can get away with, uh, you know. Uh, you still have to be polite and nice and professional, but at the same time, you can say that, you know, some of these people shouldn't be, you know, trying to write... Co some of these people have not written uh, to be understood. Uh, you, know, you, you can be politely... You can talk about things openly. Uh, I lost that train of thought, so I'm going to move on. Uh, let's read a term in a boilerplate. Um, we did joint and several liability. We did entire agreement. We did governing law and jurisdiction. You can also change. This is an interesting sample. I, I, um, oh, I see what it's doing. Um, so arbitration clauses, arbitration clauses. So yes, your contract might say, Hi, if we, if you have a problem with us, come at us, fight us in Texas under Texan law, um, or Maryland under Maryland law. Um, but your contract will often have a similar, uh, of highly related clause in it that says dispute resolution. Any dispute of this agreement between the author and company or any of its officers' employees shall first uh, try to be solved by mediation under the commercial mediation rules of the arbitration, American Arbitration Association or the uh, international, there's an international version. It's not in this contract, so, but it's called the ICC. You'll, you'll know that it's the correct one if it goes by that acronym. Before resorting to official arbitration, such rules, if such dispute is not resolved within 30 business days following notice of such dispute by either party to the other party, the unresolved dispute shall be settled by an official arbitration administered in language of your choice, in location of your choice, by the American Arbitration Association, with the award being final, binding, and non-appealable. Each party shall be entitled to appoint one arbitrator, and the arbitrators so appointed shall be de uh, shall designate a third arbitrator. Alternatively, if both parties agree, one neutral ar arbitrator chosen by the American Arbitration Association can be used instead. Neither party nor arbitrators may disclose the contents or results of the, any arbitration without prior written consent of the author and company. This agreement shall arbitrate this agreement to arbitrate shall survive the termination or repudiation of this agreement. Jeez, there's a reason we don't read the read and reread these every time we're talking, is because that's a lot to get through. Um does everyone know what arbitration is? I'll give 10 seconds to see if anyone throws it up in chat, but otherwise I will continue after I finish this sentence. So while you will see in courtroom dramas, you know, the two lawyers and their clients going to their boxes, getting ready to duke it out with their words, um, 
that's that's the standard litigation um the about 95% of legal disputes or at least that's what the percentage was back when I was studying um gets settled outside of court before it gets to that stage and they either do that through mediation or arbitration or you know some sort of settlement uh, agreement before it gets to the law and order set. Um, whereas in a court situation, you have a judge and two lawyers trying to figure everything out for everyone involved. Um, in arbitration, you have, um, you know, a panel of one to three retired judges that sort of give their opinions, they look over all the things, and they just sort of try to see if they can come up with a, 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 a solution in a more casual play format. Um, you know, less of a tournament style, more of your Friday night legal fights. Um, to rip off a of Wizards of the Coast Friday night magic. Um, and uh, see if they can't come to a solution that makes everyone happy. Uh, people like to have arbitration agreements, and lawyers are strongly encouraged to have um, the arbitration agreements in their contracts in order to make sure that not too much um, you know, pressure and strain is put on the law and order legal system. and. Um, also because arbitration can be faster and more casual to get through and mediation even a step more uh, rules-light, uh, user-friendly. See how, um, how deep the problem really is to settle out. Um, and in those stages, when they come before the law and order uh, litigation, you can usually determine, you can usually see how the cards are going to fall. You can usually count the points in those stages and go, oh, there's no way I'm going to catch up in this game, or oh, there's no way that this is going to be ruled in my favor. And each segment is usually more expensive than the last. Um, the... I, I, this is, this is something I only touched upon, or I, I only started thinking about more leading up to doing this panel, is whether I actually agree that arbitration agreements are good for our industry. For certain parts, yes, definitely. But, uh, going back to the $75, uh, picture artist, um, with arbitration agreements, the amount, you know, in our, in, Law and order litigation, you usually have to pay $100 to be heard by court, and chances are you're going to be going to a small claims court because you're, um, the amount in contest that's being contested is, you know, it, it, let's say you're an artist and you're not paid by your designer. You know, you're suing this, or, and, and let's say it's, you know, what let's say it's $7,000 just to make sure it's worth your time to go hunt them down to the ends of the earth and get your money back. Um, $7,500. We'll just add two zeros to the original. Um, in that case, in order to get a small claims court appointment, it's 
like a hundred dollars, maybe two hundred dollars once all the legal fees and you know registration for the time is put up. Um, in order to get with that pro get that process going, whereas with mediators and arbitration judges, like mediators can be two or three hundred dollars an hour, and arbitration judges usually range in like. Five hundred to seven hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and you've hired three of them to all fight with each other, which is not going to be done in an hour usually. And then that starts to make less and less sense because you've set up this math problem of seventy-five hundred dollars that you, as the artist, could possibly be entitled to, minus you know, you know, seven hundred and fifty x. That's uh. You know, there's a lot of another application of uh, where do you use math in real life? It's when to get a lawyer involved or when to get an arbitrator involved or a mediator. It's, uh, you know, set up the equation and see at what point it still makes sense to do all this and engage in the system. Um, but yes, n most of the time within the boilerplate section, you are. Um, going to be agreeing to an arbitration agreement unless you choose not to, which which some people might let you get away with. Um, another, it depends. Uh, you can ask the question. That's always fair. Um, but uh, it's also important to make sure that, you know, you're similar to the choice of forum clause, you know where you're going to be getting the hotel to to go and show up for this. And in that case, as my, you know, bankruptcy law professor would always say, you know, choose Honolulu, Hawaii as the uh, place where the arbitration happens. And then even the, ar the arbitration judges might give you a discount if you were that smart. Um, well, that we're at the 10 minute mark. This is wonderful. Okay. Um, ah, yes, I have psychic voices in my head that tell me when 10 minutes have happened uh, or 10 minutes are left, um, which is fine because I'm running out of material. Uh, does anyone have any questions on arbitration? As I go to the next one, just feel free. Or any questions generally? We've hit the last 10 minutes. Is, is this... Uh, is there something you were expecting to find in this panel that you didn't otherwise receive? Is there anything I can do you for before we scatter to the winds until next year? Where I'll probably cover the next, the second to last sections of a contract and just every year I will read contracts from the bottom up until at some point we'll get into how to put, um, to list parties and their addresses up at the very top of the document, or even how to title your contracts to make it so that it's less scary for the people you're dealing with. Um, yeah, how was yours? <laughs> how was your panel, Mo? I know you came here halfway through. It was lo it was lovely seeing you. Mo and I have been trying to uh, to hang out and meet between Metatopias since 2019, and we finally succeeded before this <laughs> this. Uh, this Metatopia. So make sure that this is a general statement uh, unrelated to the rest of the panel. 
make sure you're networking within the industry with uh, people in your local area because when you're not when we're not able to all get together and have a wonderful time in Morristown, New Jersey, um, together in person, there are still probably some other people in your neighborhood who are just as interested in board games as you are. Um, and let me see if I can flawlessly uh, transfer the next thing while I, I don't see any questions still. Um, da, da, da. Um, sometimes you'll see a non-disparagement clause in your miscellaneous uh, boilerplate section. It says that, hey, parties will, um, you know, agree not to say that the other person is a shady brat who should uh, never be worked with again, or whatever the legal equivalent is. I don't have an example of it, so, um, you know. We polish it up. We polish up our words when we need to and we're being paid. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you ever see one of those, you know, know that it stops the other party from saying bad things about you. It's, uh, it stops you from saying other bad things about the other party. Um, you know, no, this isn't legal advice, but uh, I generally don't like those because I think that being able to say things about the other party in public spaces like Twitter is a great use. And having that threat on the table is a great alternative to arbitration agreements. Uh, that's my hot take, and I buried it in the last, you know, <laughs> at minute 53 so that it's hard to uh, clip this and uh, put it around. But yeah, non-disparagement clauses, I'm not a fan. I think they serve a purpose, but, um, you know, negotiate. Negotiate about them. Um, headings and counterparts. The headings of the sections contained in this agreement are for convenience only and shall not be deemed to control or affect the meaning or construction of any provision of this agreement. This agreement may be executed in two or more counterparts, which taken together shall constitute a single document and be considered the original document. So that's just saying that if I label, you know, section 12, I'm going to give you a million dollars for your great game idea that you haven't actually put into an expressible form. And then, uh, sec, you know, section... 12.1, you know, section point one is, you know, anything else, uh, that heading means nothing if, if it says so in the miscellaneous. The miscellaneous boilerplate section can specifically say that uh, certain parts of the contract are to be read in a certain order and not necessarily in a way that makes them enforceable. It's one of those weird things that lawyers can do and or you know, your, your uh, rule book editors can do when you're making up all the rules as you go. You can make these non-default ways of contract and legal interpretation. Uh, the second part about the counterparts allows for things like DocuSign or sort of the, um, the digital contracts uh, signing when one person signs it and then another person's going to sign it later, 
this is saying that by their powers combined, they can form original documents. Um, that's usually helpful in, in assuming that you're not in a circumstance where everyone can be together in the same room and sign the blood oath under witnesses and all that sort of traditional jazz from a bygone age. Um, uh, send your notices to the right address. There's a boilerplate usually that says where that, you know, throughout, throughout contracts, you will generally need to send notices between parties. Make sure you are giving your physical address to anyone you're doing a deal with because they may need to contact you without your Discord handle. Uh, my Discord handle is uh, Waylon, uh, hashtag 0184, if you have any questions in the future. I'm sort of noticing that we're in the last four to three minutes. I'm uh, trying to transition into, like, had a lovely time. If there is, aren't any more questions, um, I'm just going to self-promotion plug and maybe check over my stuff one more time. Uh, doing it sort of scattered since I don't have any other panelists I'm needing to outro out with, and tech will cut me off whenever. Um, if you need a lawyer, ooh, you can. Uh, contact me, Eric Whalen, at the S Whalen, spelled W H A L E N, at gmail.com. Um, within the next year, I will have. Uh, my blog fully published. At the moment, it's in sort of a Metatopia-style, um, you know, playtesting state. And uh, let me get that link and put it in chat. It's it's not fully populated yet. As this next year comes on, you're going to see more stuff in it. You're going to see that it looks a lot nicer. But if you do need to contact with me and you're fine with prototype uh, lawyer web design, then you can save that link somewhere and, you know, maybe around March, hopefully it'll look better and don't just sort of remind me that I can't be everywhere and do everything while I'm trying to be everywhere and do everything for my clients. Um, let's see, with two minutes left, I'd like to thank chat. Uh, Trey, Mista, and Aldercone. I, I, I really, I've only been seeing the first half of your name because I, I've, uh, I've just been sort of letting, I've, I've been speed reading and making sure not to collapse under the pressure of the millions of eyes that uh, could see me, but at least the six eyes that are participating in chat. Um, so thank you all for your patience. Are you sure there aren't any questions? Are you sure you, you've been left enriched. Now's the time to ask the real good questions because there's probably only about a minute left and I can get cut off right in the middle of answering your question, which I think would be a hilarious way to end. Um, you know, because uh, I know we could start talking fair use. <laughs> Don't believe YouTube when you see that someone says it's fair use. It probably isn't. Um, or probably no one knows. Uh, let's see. Oh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think so long until next year. I've been Eric Whalen.